Um, it's exciting to see the progress. Uh, and I thank everybody who's been working and giving and praying. And uh, man, we've been in this together for almost two years now since we first uh, were made aware that that building was available and began praying and, and just reaching out to the CMA. It's been a heck of a process. Uh, we're not done. It's really important that we complete this process, uh, not so that we can shift our focus onto a building. That is the last thing that we want to do. It would be better for us to remain homeless than to become a church that focuses on a building. Uh, but the building is a tool and it's a resource for doing ministry and for completing the mission that Jesus has given us. And so, uh, as we've mentioned before, our goal is to be in-house by Easter this year. And that's not that far away. And so we have to uh, stay focused on that goal and we have to keep working hard and keep making sure that these projects move along in a timely fashion. And in order to do that, uh, we have to raise more money. And so I want to just encourage you as you're able, I'm not asking anybody to do anything that the Lord has not given you the ability to do. Uh, but as you are able to continue to prayerfully and generously give towards this project, uh, we were, uh, we set a goal for uh, year-end giving to raise about $25,000 and we did, or to raise $25,000 and we did hit that goal. Um, and I'm going to tell you how we hit that goal in a second. Uh, and, and I'm going to uh, go ahead. Dean, you can come on up. So Dean is the pastor of the River Church, just a couple of blocks from here. And he reached out to me a couple of weeks before the end of the year or early December sometime and said, uh, we do um, year-end giving at our church every year. And we, we give that money to specific ministries or projects. And I, I believe most of you probably heard me say that they were, had a goal of raising $5,000 for our building project. And Dean is here to tell us that they hit that goal. So, Amen. Well, first of all, I just want to say how uh, thrilled I am that Redemption Church has put a stake in the ground and said we are going to advance the kingdom of God and bring the gospel and love of Jesus Christ to this area in a way that um, only we can and that we are called to do. And. Uh, Fred, I'm so grateful uh, that you have chosen to uh, start this church. I'm so grateful that all of you have chosen to jump in and be a part of Redemption Church and fulfill your calling of reaching this region with the message of Jesus Christ. And when we were uh, a new church plant 16 years ago, it was... Um, it was thrilling and scary and, you know, all of that all together. And I'm so grateful um, that another church has said, you know what, we're, we're, we, we believe in these people, we believe in this calling, we believe in this message, and we're going we're gonna to make it happen as God has uh, called us to do. And uh, the fact that you believe that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the single most transformative message our world needs to hear, especially now, mm -hmm. uh, brings me so much joy because um, once, once people's hearts and lives are transformed by Jesus Christ, it's like there's nothing more exciting in the world. And so, Fred, it is our great privilege as a a member of the same church because we serve the same king, we advance the same kingdom. It is our deepest joy to partner with you in this small way of saying um, we support you, we love you, and we are pooling for you. And so um, the, the people that are connected with our church uh, gave uh, a little bit more than we asked, so we have $5,563 uh, that it is our privilege to... I tried to get one of those really big checks printed, yeah, but uh, here, there we go. <laughs> so thank, thank you, brother. brother. So proud of you. Appreciate thank you. you man. God bless you. Amen. Amen. This, this guy loves the gospel, and he loves this community, and it's a joy to get to partner together, not only financially, um, but in the message and the mission of the gospel. So, I mean, I also know Marty, so I hope you don't hold that against me. Yeah, I was like, no, no. <laughs> Marty's Marty a, a good, well, so. good buddy from way back, so don't judge me by my friends, but love you, Marty. 
Would so, you would you pray yeah, first and then absolutely, I'll pray and, absolutely. Uh, we'll just knit our hearts together yeah. for Father, we're so grateful for the calling that you place on our lives and grateful for those who have the faith and the trust in you to step into that calling and say, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll serve as you want me to serve. And Father, I thank you that that calling has not only been placed on Fred's life and Marty's life and all who are uh, serving here, but it's been placed on the lives of each person here to make a difference for you and for your kingdom. And Father, for all who are yet to believe, for all who are yet to find life in you, I pray, Lord, that you would stir their hearts even now. Father, I ask that you would open the floodgates of your blessing, of your favor, of your goodness on Redemption Church. Father, we look with great anticipation toward Easter and you pouring out your blessing on Redemption Church in such a way for the whole world to see that you are doing a new thing. You are doing a great thing. I pray that Redemption Church will be a place of life and hope and grace and salvation and transformation and blessings to all who hear of you through them. And Father, I pray as they are uniquely positioned to reach the poor and the affluence, to reach the educated and those who are challenged that way, to reach a very diverse demographic of people, I pray that as you position them here right in this space, in this area, that uh, they will be a church without boundaries and without prejudices and without um, classes of people, but they will be a church where young and old, rich and poor, white and black can come together and grow in you and follow you fully. And I ask that you would bless this, bless Fred and his family, continue to give them all that they need as they lead your calling in their lives. And thank you for their obedience to this now and to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We know that we have brothers and sisters in this community through the river. And I thank you for their generosity and their faithfulness to, to steward the resources that you've given them in this way to help us get into this building and to put down roots so that more people in this community would hear the gospel. I pray that you bless them and that you reward them for their faithfulness. And God, I pray that you would raise up many more workers in this community. I pray, uh, as you had promised 2,000 years ago, that you would build your church. You have never failed. And I pray that you would build your church here. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, thank appreciate you, brother. you, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Make sure you let your church know we love them and we appreciate them. All right. All right, so with that $5,000, we hit our mark of trying to uh, hit $25,000, and we're very grateful for that. I want to get this out of the way here so I don't drop it. Um, and so we're on to the, to the next $25,000, and, and uh, Lord willing, uh, things will come together in time for Easter. But to do that, uh, we, we need you to be faithful. I had somebody uh, from the church, a, a friend, come and bring me his stimulus, stimulus check the other day and say, I want this to go to the building. And that was really awesome. God is just doing great things. You guys are wonderful, and we're, we're very grateful for uh, believing in the mission and believing that this needs to be done. So, all right, well, with that, I want to get into the message. Enough about the building. Let's talk about the message. We're going to be in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16 today, as we continue to work through the gospel of John. Hope you guys are enjoying this. Hope you're enjoying the gospel. It's a great book. Um, one of the challenges that came out of last week's message was uh, to get into the word regularly. And so I posted in our Facebook group. Um, 
some, some guidance and some, some ideas or suggestions, and many of you signed up to read through uh, the Bible with me this year. Uh, not the whole Bible, but through parts of the Bible. And so we read through Galatians last week, and I hope you enjoyed that. This week we're going to do the book of James. And so even if you're not in the Facebook group, uh, if you want to read through the book of James with us, that's going to be our focus this week as we continue to feed ourselves and nourish ourselves spiritually, reminding ourselves of what Jesus said, that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So speaking of the words that come from the mouth of God, let's look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem there was a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of, of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore, so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Let me give you a little context. Again, the Gospel of John. John is making his case um, for who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing in him we'd have life in his name. And so he's presenting signs, he's presenting witnesses, he's making his case for who Jesus is. I actually skipped a passage because in order to get through the Gospel of John in, in my lifetime, uh, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to skip some passages. And so um, there was a, just real quickly, there was a miracle that happened before this. There are seven signs in the Gospel of John. This is the second one that we've talked about, but it's actually the third one that occurs in the Gospel. And the one that occurred right before this that I did not preach on um, was a healing as well. And so Jesus is doing these types of things. He's, he's, he's gathering, he's, he's kind of gaining a reputation of being a healer, of having miraculous powers. And we saw at the end of this passage that that's going to begin to get him into a lot of trouble with the Jews. This story, this, pa this passage is a very pivotal point in terms of Jesus' relationship with the Jewish people. Because now he's really starting to get on the, their nerves with what he's doing. Uh, one other thing that comes up, and, uh, never mind, we don't have a ton of time, so uh, we might get into that later. So, a couple, I just want to make some observations through this text and then some applications, and uh, that's how we'll handle the text today. If you have the handout, you can uh, begin filling in some blanks. The first one is this Jesus tested this man's desire to be well before he healed him. He tested this man's desire to be well before he healed him. What's, uh, what sticks out to me in this story, well, one of the things I was thinking about in this story is the relationship between Jesus' will and this man's will. And that, that those come into play in here that Jesus makes the decision to approach him. He makes a sovereign choice. We talk sometimes about the sovereignty of God, the fact that he's in control and the fact that he does as he wishes. He makes the sovereign choice uh, to make this man well, but even in his sovereign choice, he requires that this man be willing to be well. So you have Jesus' will, which is to make this man well and to do a miracle on this particular day with this particular man. And then you have this man's will. And Jesus does not necessarily override his will in this instance, but he engages it. 
It says in verse 3, Within these lay a large number of this, the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? That's a powerful question. Why does Jesus ask him, Do you want to get well? Would you not assume a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years wants to get well? Would you not assume one of the things uh, in this passage you, you may have noticed as we read, we went from verse 3 directly to verse 5. That's because the CSB includes the second half of verse 3 and all of verse 4 as a footnote. Uh, one of the, and the reason for that is that there's debate over whether or not those verses were originally in the, the earliest, well, they don't occur in the earliest manuscripts, which indicates that somebody added it later. Uh, I don't want to make a big deal out of that, because if you, if you don't understand that process and why that happened, that might cause you uh, some concern, like, wait a minute, are there, there are verses that are supposed to be in the Bible that aren't in my Bible, or are there are verses that were added to the Bible? Um, yes and no. Uh, there's a huge scholarly tradition of examining these types of discrepancies between the different manuscripts that we have. And what you, if, you, if you want the easy answer, the easy answer is we have great confidence that we have the words of the original manuscripts. Um, if you want a long answer, there are much longer answers that can be provided, and I'd love to engage with you outside of this context. But to keep things simple, a, a couple of times in the Gospel of John, we'll see that the CSB footnotes uh, verses. I think there's just two, but I could be mistaken in that this is one of them, okay? In those verses, there's a, actually a little bit of helpful context, the verses that are footnoted in the CSB. And that is that at this poll, there was this belief that an angel would come down and stir up the waters, and whoever got into the water first would be healed. And so that makes sense of the dialogue here, even if, even if that's not in our text today. And so this man, he's hanging out at this place that's known for healing the disabled. That's the point. There's supposed to be a magical thing that happens in this pool, uh, this pool at Bethesda, where if you are paralyzed or blind or lame or otherwise disabled, if you get into the waters at the right time, you can be healed. So why does Jesus ask this man if he wants it to be well? He's at the place where, uh, where paralyzed people come to get well. Nonetheless, he asks the question. And I think that's worth considering we sometimes assume even of ourselves that we want to be well. And yet, if you dig down deep enough and you examine your own behavior, your behavior and your other thought processes may betray the belief that you want to get well. Jesus wants this man to want to be well. And so he engages him with this question. Do you want to get well? Lots of people, believe it or not, don't want to get well. The offer of Jesus' wellness, if you will, is now made available to every single human being. And yet many people don't want it. They don't want to be well in the way that Jesus comes to make us well. And so when, I, when we consider the interaction of Jesus' will with the will of this man and Jesus' sovereignty versus, you know, this concept of the free will of this man, we see that Jesus tests, tests this man's desire to be well before he healed him because he wants him to be well. There's, there's a proverbial saying that I think is helpful. I say it's a proverbial saying because pr proverbial sayings aren't necessarily hard and fast truths all the time. They're just things that help us understand the way things generally work. They're sayings that help us understand the way things generally work. And that, that saying is this, without God, you can't. And without you, God won't. I think that applies not to every situation, but perhaps to this interaction with this paralyzed man or this, this disabled man. Do you want to get well? You can't get well on your own. 
But if you don't want to get well, God isn't necessarily going to make him well, is he? Jesus chose one man out of many. What, what does it say? There was in verse 3, there was, within these lay a large number of the disabled. Jesus did not heal a large number of disabled at this instance. He chose one. There's his will. There's his sovereign will. And you might struggle with that, as I think is natural to do so. Why didn't Jesus heal all of them? Well, we don't always understand Jesus' miracles the way he intended them. His miracles weren't necessarily to make everything right in the world. His miracles were done to reveal who he is. And so he sovereignly chooses this one man, but then he interacts with this man's will and says, do you want to get well? And the man says, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Who knows how many times this man has come to this pool wanting to get well. So he tests his desire. The next thing is that, that we notice is that Jesus made the man well instantly. He makes him well instantly. When we were, um, when Reagan was young and we were engaging in some therapies and stuff um, that, that we had uh, hoped would help her and, and indeed did help her, um, we came to a place called the Institute for the Achievement of Human Potential. I won't, it's a long story. Um, it's a place in Philadelphia that was run by a man who had incredible genius in helping brain injured, injured children. Uh, but he also had an interesting relationship with the scriptures in that he tended to believe much of what he saw in scripture. But he, he supposed that Jesus' miraculous healings weren't actually all that miraculous, that he perhaps uh, applied similar techniques to what this man had discovered in the 20th century and that we applied to our family in the 21st century, uh, that he applied similar techniques that actually made people well over a long period of time, something that isn't quite as miraculous but what we see very clearly here is that Jesus made this man well instantly. That is absolutely miraculous. It is supernatural. It implies power, power that mere human beings don't have. This man was disabled for 38 years. It's a long time. It's a long time to be broken. Physically, It's a long time to be hurting. Without a doubt, Jesus is not the first person to offer this man a solution for his disability. People aren't all that different. They weren't all that different 2,000 years ago than they are today. And I know for a fact today, people who experience physical disabilities get lots of suggestions about how they might be made well. Most of the time, very well intended, of course, sometimes very hurtful. I have, I have friends with physical disabilities who are uh, strong Christians. In fact, one of them is a pastor who has cerebral palsy, um, who's been told if he just had enough faith that he would be healed. And there have been people who have who've gone to, um, let's say, sort of extreme lengths to try to actually heal him. And God hasn't chosen to heal him. People with, with disabilities get lots of input on perhaps why they are that way or what they might be able to do to get better. This man in his 38 years had probably tried a lot of things. One of the things that he tried was there was a pool known for healing people, and he went and he hung out there with a lot of other people with disabilities. But every time he thought he was close, every time he thought he might get into the water first, somebody got there ahead of him. And then comes along Jesus. This man, he doesn't even know his name. The paralyzed man doesn't even know Jesus' name. He has no idea who he is. We see that as the story progresses. Jesus says to him in verse 8, get up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And what happens in verse 9? Instantly the man got well. When I, my first run through uh, this, this sermon, I wanted to talk about belief. 
And I wanted to talk about the fact that this man believed Jesus because he got up. It takes faith to get up. If you're, if you're, if you're lame or paralyzed and you can't get up and you can't walk and somebody, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, this time it's going to work. 38 years you've been trying to get up and this guy says this time it's going to work. You're probably not getting up. I wanted to talk about this guy's belief. But then as I looked closer at the text, that's not, it's not there. That's not the emphasis of how John tells this story. We don't know what role this man's belief or faith played in this, if any. What we see here is that Jesus tells him to get up, pick up his mat and walk, and instantly the man got well. I don't know how he knew he was well. I don't know if he felt a sensation. I don't know if his, if his, I don't, we don't know. It just says that instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. So they'd carry around these mats probably like made of like straw or something that would roll up, right? Something light enough to carry. But if you're, if, if you have significant dif- disability, that's not something he'd have been able to do. This, this guy probably had significant help to get to where he was at and now he's instantly well and he just gets up and he picks up his mat and he starts to walk that's the power of Jesus that he's instantly made well in fact what's what's so great about the gospel is that that power will be applied to everyone who believes in Jesus at some point in your existence. (laughs) Not the point of your choosing. All of us would probably choose to be well here and now in this life. Most of us won't experience that. Most of us will experience that we become less and less well as we get closer to standing before Jesus, as our life progresses. But then there will come an instant when we shed these broken bodies and we're instantly made well. There's an image that's been circulating on the internet for a long time um, of, a, of a tombstone of a, uh, somebody that apparently died young because there's a child in the image who's getting up out of a wheelchair. It's this beautiful image. I don't remember what it's made of, but it's a statue is really what it is of this child like coming up out of the wheelchair and that's their tombstone to indicate the faith of those whom that child left behind that he is now well in the presence of Jesus. Again, Jesus didn't heal. His mission wasn't to make all of these paralyzed and and lame and disabled people well. Not then. Not at that moment. He chose one to display his power, and his power was sufficient to make him well instantly. And he will make us well one day. So this time it worked. This guy had tried many things, we assume. This time it worked. He's made well instantly. Next, what do we see? Next observation that we see in this story is that the religious hypocrites miss what God is really doing. The religious hypocrites miss what God is really doing. As Jesus just performed what was the greatest miracle of this man's life, this was no doubt his greatest wish. I mean, you don't live that long with a disability without a deep longing and desire to be well and a hatred for the fact that these human frail bodies break so easily. Every moment of every day for 38 years, this man lived broken. This is an incredible gift that Jesus just gave him to make him well. So naturally, all the religious people in the town are going to celebrate. Naturally, everybody's going to be happy for him. Naturally, everybody is going to rejoice and they're going to want to thank Jesus and they're going, to, they're going to want everybody to know what a great man this Jesus is, right? That's not what happens, is it? Now that day was the Sabbath. As soon as John says that, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> this isn't good. 
And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. Dang. Dang, guys, what's going on here? 38 years, this guy's been disabled. He couldn't pick up a mat for five seconds. He, this, is the, this is the best thing that has ever happened to him. And what they want to do is they want to be quick to point out now, 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 now. This is the Sabbath. You don't pick up your mat on the Sabbath. In fact, they say the law prohibits you from picking up your mat. Wrong. The law commands rest from regular work that is to be done for six days out of the week on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. That's what the law commands. What they did was they tried to define exactly what that should look like, and in, in trying to define it, added incredible burdens on people that, that defy the intention of the Sabbath and make it virtually impossible to keep the Sabbath. And so now the Sabbath has gone from being a day of rest and worship and enjoying the Lord to a day of burden. It's a day of work. It's the hardest day of the week because you've got to be careful to keep all of these laws and restrictions. So they say the law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. It was there. Jesus slips in. Heals this guy, slips out. Now they want to know who it was. This man has never worked less on the Sabbath than this day. At least not for 38 years. I don't know how old the guy was. We just know he was, he was disabled for 38 years. So we're assuming there was a period of time before that, before he became disabled. He's not worked less on the Sabbath any one of those days. 52 Sabbaths a year for 38 years. I don't know the math. That's a lot of Sabbaths. And that guy has had to work. When you are physically disabled, everything is work. I witness it every day. The simplest of tasks are difficult. It's excruciating to watch and to, to live alongside of somebody who is physically disabled to the point of everything becomes work. Everything becomes dangerous. Everything becomes difficult. This man is working less than he has worked on any day in the last 38 years. And the religious hypocrites totally miss what Jesus just did. And they're like, look, a guy carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Well, that guy was paralyzed for 38 years. This is the best day of his life, and the religious people want to ruin it. Religious hypocrites often do this. They miss what God is really doing. They get caught up in, in the minutia and miss the big picture. We don't want to do that. Let that be a warning to us that we don't get so consumed by the minor things that we miss the major things. You never want to major on the minors, right? You want to major on the majors. Keep the main thing the main thing. Stay focused on the big picture. Don't miss what God is doing. Next observation, Jesus transitions from the man's temporary physical needs to his eternal spiritual needs. Much like he did with the Samaritan woman at the well, if you remember that story from a couple of weeks ago, he transitions from the man's temporary physical needs to his eternal spiritual needs. We're going to look at verse 14. I want to give you a second to fill in those blanks. Temporary, eternal, spiritual. He transitions from the temporary and physical needs, his need for healing, his need for physical wellness, to focus on his eternal spiritual needs. All physical healing in this life is temporary. All physical healing in this life is temporary. That's why the main objective, that's why Jesus' mission, that's why he didn't go around the pool and heal every single person there. That wasn't his mission. His mission was not temporary physical needs. That's not to say he's unconcerned unconcerned with temporary physical needs. Jesus has compassion. In fact, that's what I'm going to make our application is Jesus's compassion for this man in the midst of his temporary physical needs. But all physical healing is temporary. 
What happened to this guy after Jesus healed him? Is he still here physically well? No, he died. Presumably, he got sick after this. Presumably, he still experienced the, the aging process of his body just like you and I do. He probably developed arthritis. He pro- I mean, the guy was laying on a mat for 38 years. It, his physical healing was temporary. All physical he- healing in this life is temporary. Jesus looks past his temporary needs... Again, I hope I've made my point clear. It's not that he doesn't care about that. He, Jesus cares deeply about our physical being. But he looks past that to his eternal spiritual needs. We see that in verse 14. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Maybe Jesus is just picking on this guy. It's possible that his disability resulted from sin. That's possible. Not all, in fact, probably most physical um, disease and sickness or even disability isn't necessarily a result of sin. But that can come about as a result of sin. The guy may have gotten drunk and and was up on a rooftop and fell and broke his back and that's how he became disabled. I don't know. Or 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 it could have been it could have been a, a number of things. We don't know. And Jesus isn't necessarily tying the two together, but it may be. That's one one possible way of seeing this, and that's how some people see this. That that Jesus was just saying, hey. You sinned. That sin led to disability. I healed you. Don't go back to that sin. I don't know if that's the case. Jesus doesn't make that clear. But what is clear is that Jesus has now moved beyond his physical condition to his spiritual condition. And this man has spiritual needs greater than his physical needs, if you can believe it. He has spiritual needs that are far greater than his physical needs. Somebody who is disabled, they're biggest problem in life is not their physical disability. Their biggest problem in life is the same problem that you and I who aren't disabled, let me say those of us who aren't disabled have, and that is spiritual. Our biggest problem is our need for spiritual life, for spiritual wellness. Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew 10 verse 28, don't fear those who can kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. That would be your fellow human beings. They can kill your body. They can't do anything to your soul. Don't fear them. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, there's something, there's somebody who has much greater control over your uh, future than the people around you, and that is God himself. He has, he has control over your spirit, over your, your soul and your spiritual life, both here and in the future. This is, this is to say that the spiritual needs are much greater. Spiritual needs are much greater than physical needs. That's why Jesus' miracles are a sign to us that we may believe in him and have eternal life. His, his miracles involving physical healing, the physical healing is actually like just one of the benefits. The main point is to point people to have eternal life in him. Remember John's, uh, at the end of John's gospel, he tells us the reason why he wrote this whole book. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why did Jesus heal this disabled man? So that he might believe in who Jesus is and have eternal life. And so that everybody in that community might believe who Jesus is and have eternal life. That's why he does these physical miracles. That's why he healed this guy. He transitions from the man's temporary and physical needs to his eternal spiritual needs. The, the, the resolving of the physical need is a means to resolve the spiritual need. 
That's Jesus' goal in everything that he does. Now, I mentioned, um, I mentioned that this is a pivotal point in John's gospel in terms of Jesus' relationship with the Jews, which has not been positive up to this point. But now things are really going to start to pick up. Let's look at this real quickly. The Jews persecute Jesus. That's the last thing that you see on your handout. So after all of this has taken place, finally, and, and I think this is really what John is getting to in telling this story, and we know that because from, from here on, um, at least a chapter, maybe a chapter and a half now, the, the focus is going to turn to Jesus' response to the Jews. So this story, this miracle sets up a, a discourse of Jesus where he's going to begin to talk first to the Jews, but then just reveal who he is. And so we're going to get away from narrative for a little bit uh, in the next couple of weeks, and we're just going to get into some of the words of Jesus. So the Jews begin to persecute Jesus. Verse 15, the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. You remember, at first he didn't know who it was. Jesus showed and revealed himself to him. Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Doing the right thing isn't always rewarded in this world. Greg mentioned the turmoil that is existing in our world right now. Right now, it's largely political. Um, you may have noticed there are, there are things being done and precedents being set that I believe are going to be applied to Christians in, in very difficult ways. Regardless of how you feel about certain events that have transpired and all of that, um, what's happening right now is there are a few powerful people and companies who are um, flexing their control over the world. And that's not new, that's not unusual, that's not unexpected, um, but they're doing it in a way that's, that's really taking away some of the things that we've enjoyed for a long time in this country, like free speech and the ability to express your own opinions and your own views and what you believe is true and forcing people to conform to what the world says is true. And that's not good for Christians. Like you can see why that's bad, right? Where, where that's going to head for us. Jesus warned us a long time ago to expect these types of things. Let me show you. In John chapter 15, I'm just going to read this passage real quick. This won't take a lot of time. Uh, in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus said to his followers, okay, so we're in John chapter 5, where it says the Jews begin to persecute Jesus, right? That's going to build and build and build and build and build until they eventually just crucify him and horrible fashion, right? Okay. But before it gets quite to that point, and Jesus says this to his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If the world loves you, you're not doing something right according to Jesus. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. All right, so Jesus warns us. Hey, he's the master, we're the servants, right? Like, he's our leader, we're the followers. If they persecuted him, if they hated him, expect them to do the same to us. In fact, it's only right, it's only right if he had to endure persecution that his followers would have to endure persecution as well. So I say that not to scare us, but to prepare us that we're not promised things get better for Christians as time goes along. In fact, most ways of understanding biblical prophecy indicate that things get actually really, really bad for Christians as the world goes along. That's not great news, but it's not bad news either because Jesus has overcome the world. And if they hate us, it's just because they hate him. Or at least it should be just because they hate him. Not, I mean, we shouldn't make them hate us. Let them hate us for loving Jesus, not because... We're just bad people. Which leads me to my application, and I want to finish with this. 
Uh, it's difficult, you know, applications as we go through the Gospel of John can get more and more difficult because a lot of times the most obvious application is believe in Jesus. And I don't want to just keep saying the same thing, you know, for, you know, we're going to spend several months in this gospel. We've already spent several months in this gospel and we've got several more. I don't want to just keep saying believe, 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 but believe. Okay. First and foremost, believe. But let me give you some practical things that come out of this some things that, that I get excited to talk about. Jesus regularly showed compassion for people with physical disabilities and we should too. He regularly showed compassion for people with physical disabilities. He, he constantly goes to people who are broken, who are disowned by the world, who, who don't have stature in society. Uh, people with physical disabilities in much of human existence have been treated very poorly. I think what's happening today in America in terms of how people with disabilities are viewed and treated and the accommodations that are made is extremely unique in humanity. For the most part, people with physical disabilities are assumed to have done something to deserve that and they're cast aside. And that's why you got all these people desperately laying around this pool hoping that some miracle happens. Jesus constantly seeks out those who are broken and those who are forgotten by society. And we should do that too. And so I mentioned a couple of months ago, um, Lord willing, everything in 2021 is Lord willing. It's always Lord willing, like God's always in control, right? But um, Lord willing, uh, one of our mission trips this year is going to be to uh, a thing called Johnny and Friends Family Retreat. Johnny and, Friends, Johnny and Friends Family Retreat is a, a, a five-day camp for families who have someone in their family with a disability. And it's a Christian-run organization, and uh, I have the privilege of being the camp pastor. And I get, that means I get to preach every day to these families and share the gospel. And um, they are run on people who come and volunteer to serve and come alongside of those families in a variety of roles. And so we're making that one of our mission trips. And so the dates for that, this is a very practical application, all right? Sometimes my applications aren't all that practical. This is very practical. If you would consider going on a mission trip with us this summer, uh, family retreat is one of the options that we're going to offer. And that's June 20th through 25th. And then uh, that would be my preferred dates that you choose to go. There are two weeks to this. I will be at both. The second one is July 11th through the 16th. So if you consider going on this trip, um, please consider the June 20th through 25th. Uh, and that's for a couple of reasons. But if you can't do those dates, but you're very interested in that concept, then there's also one July 11th through the 16th that I'll be at as well. Uh, so that's a mission trip opportunity. It's about $450 to go to that. Sign-ups for volunteers will be opening, I believe, in the next few weeks, if not sooner. And uh, it's imperative that you sign up early because those volunteer spots do fill up usually. So if you want more information on that, ask me. Um, the other thing I want to let you know about, and um, this is something I, I love to talk about, because of our daughter Reagan being born with multiple disabilities, uh, years ago, friends of ours helped us form an organization called uh, Reagan's Journey. And Reagan's Journey serves families who have children with disabilities. One of the things that we do, uh, the main thing that we do is that we have a lending closet in Oakmont where we store all kinds of durable medical equipment and medical supplies for kids with disabilities. And families can come to the lending closet and take anything that they can use for their child for free. And it's also a place where they can bring things that they no longer need. And that was a, a thing that came about as Reagan was growing and she was growing out of some of her equipment and stuff. We're looking at this equipment and we're like, this thing was like $2,500 and it's in perfect condition. She barely used it, blah, blah, blah. Somebody's got to be able to take advantage of this, right? So that's how the lending closet was born. And uh, it's a fantastic ministry that my wife Kim runs. And we grew uh, three years ago, we gave out, I think, like $17,000 
in medical equipment to this year, she gave out, I think like $520,000 worth of medical equipment uh, in the midst of the pandemic when we were shut down for several months. It's a fantastic ministry. Uh, people from, uh, well, just people from all over Western Pennsylvania, people from other states come to this lending closet in Oakmont and there's no, um, there's no spiritual requirements for that. And it's not just for Christians. Most of the people that come aren't Christians and this is our way of being a witness to them. We have Muslim families and, and all kinds of families that come and uh, receive the love of Jesus in this way. One of the things that we do every year that you can participate in is uh, every summer or fall, we've done it both, we do a thing called uh, the wheelchair drive where we take manual wheelchairs, not electric wheelchairs. We cannot take electric wheelchairs. We take manual wheelchairs and uh, every year we set a goal of getting 100 wheelchairs and they can be in any condition and they go and they get refurbished through a whole, there's a whole system that Johnny and Friends uh, organizes where prison inmates across the country refurbish wheelchairs and then they send them to developing countries where people don't have access to that type of medical equipment. And what has... What I've become aware of through that ministry is that most people who have physical disabilities living around the world, especially in developing countries, still live in absolutely horrific conditions. Um, many of them bedridden, never leave their bedrooms. Some of them are transported around in wheelbarrows. Many of them crawl through the dirt to get from one place to the next. And so we collect these wheelchairs so that they can get out of bed, so that they can be uh, wheeled around in dignity and not on the ground or not in a wheelbarrow. Uh, and it's a great ministry. And so you can participate in that by helping us with the wheelchair drive. Uh, we'll give you more details when that happens this year. All right, that was a lot, but this is like, this is something I get really passionate about because of our family experience and because of what we've seen God do through that. But I would love for you to consider going on the family retreat trip with us this summer. So please let me know if you want more information on that and I will get that to you. Okay, so those are my practical applications. Let's be like Jesus. Let's have compassion, but let's look not only to temporary physical needs, but let's realize the eternal spiritual needs of the people that we're serving and that we're reaching out to. All right, we're out of time, so let me go ahead and uh, I'm out of time. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and uh, lead us in, in one or two more songs. I'm not sure how many they have, have planned here with what we've done today. So, all right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for having compassion. Not only compassion for physical needs, but compassion for spiritual needs. Compassion that caused you to leave heaven, to come to earth, to die for our sins, so that by believing that you are who you say you are, we can be saved by your sacrificial death in our place on the cross, that our sins are forgiven because you paid the debt in full. Help us to use the, the opportunity presented by physical needs in this world to bring more people to eternal life. And help us to have compassion on those who are hurting and those who, who, who need um, more help or more grace and those who are in, in desperate situa situations, help us to reach out with the love of Christ. And God, as we prepare for one of our mission trips this summer to go and serve at, at Johnny and Friends Family Retreat, God, I pray that you would raise up the right team, the right people to be a part of that mission trip and to go and to show the love of Christ in that way. And I, I thank you so much for what you're doing uh, in this church, not just giving us a building, but giving us a mission. And I thank you for friends like the River and, and Pastor Dean Ward who have come alongside of us. We ask that you bless them and that you continue to grow your church. We love you and you thank, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.